God has really blessed me. You know, he let me work in D.C., let me work with EIB and Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And he's shown me through all those experiences that there is one problem and one solution, and that's why we do this show. Welcome to A Disciple's View with Todd Herman. When the God of the universe created the world, he didn't snap his finger or wink his eye. He spoke. He spoke words. Lord God said, let there be light. Because we believe, we speak about the happenings in this world and remain mindful of their true home is with Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Welcome to Disciples View. I'm Todd Herman. It might be just because this is how God made me. But I find censorship to be, government censorship to be, well, odious, uh, offensive. I don't want to say scary because God warns us against fear. I find it anger-inducing, I find it unfair, I find it arrogant, and I always, always have. I was on the junior high newspaper team in, I think, ninth grade, and I was, guys, I was not a good kid in ninth grade. I, I was a troubled kid, and I got into a lot of trouble, and I sought trouble, and I found trouble, and I was good at manufacturing trouble. And thank the Lord for some godly teachers who either, well, put up with me would be one way to put it, didn't expel me from the district um, for being a jerk. And just, Lord, forgive me for affecting my mother's teaching career. I really did. My misbehavior affected my, my mother's teaching career. And I've apologized a thousand times over for that. And God put in my heart a need for justice. Now, at that point, I thought <laughs> I, thought I was justice. I thought I, with, with my depth my, my massive depth of wisdom at the age of 13 wearing Dr. Johnny Fever tinted glasses and John Denver hair that looked more like a, uh, a field of fallen hay than John Denver's hair. Walking around in, um, by the way, uh, um, purple and red striped pants that I made myself because I thought they looked like <laughs> David Lee Roth from the, uh, the, the band Van Halen, which is, by the way, not a godly band. I thought my wisdom was supreme. And God put in me a need for justice. At one time when I was kicked out of school, no, kicked out of class, rather, not kicked out of school, sent to in-school suspension, which was a regular thing. I was walking through the class or through the hallways and I saw the principal searching lockers. So I slowed my walk and I noticed he just went to lockers. He had the key and he opened them up and he looked through them. This was a revelation to me. I didn't know they did that. And I, uh, I, when I got done being suspended, I went back to work at the school newspaper and I wrote an article about it. And uh, I went to go interview the principal. And the principal did not want that piece in our newspaper. And the, the teacher stood up to him. And in fact, she was a New York hippie. Her own description, she stood up to him. And I learned about press freedom and this, this, this struggle. 
to, to be able to speak truth. And I felt like we had a right to know this as students. And, and to his credit, that the, the principal listened to the argument and said, okay, as long as I get to write an opposing view. And I thought that was so cool. So the principal wrote a guest opinion in the student newspaper. <laughs> yes, my fragile ego at the time. Maybe I found it particularly cool in that the guest opinion ran under my exclusive report. Yeah, I took time off from writing about Sammy Hagar concerts to write something serious. Uh, I think it's that God gave me this, this need to speak. And it only took until I was in my, my early 50s for me to, understood, to understand that it was to speak God's word. It only took me 50 years to get out of his way, to put God at the center of my work. So I am pretty well designed to dislike government censorship and pretty well set that if you're in the business of hiding what other people say because it counters what you want them to think, you are never, you're never on the good side of things. Uh, I'm not going to include in this blocking kids from seeing perverse pornographic sex ed in the schools. That's not censorship. That's curation. They can go find it elsewhere. And their parents, if their parents choose to buy those books or rent those books, they can do that. That's not censorship. It's curation. Censorship is preventing people from speaking. And you could say, well, no, then, then if you're going to talk about Twitter and social media, then that's curation too. It's not when it's the government doing it to adults. It's not particularly when it's the government doing it for political reasons. The First Amendment is very, very clear that a good portion of the reason our founders, inspired by God in my judgment, included in the First Amendment, our right to redress grievances. Then it's inarguable censorship. Just as it would have been if the principal of that school had said, you're criticizing us. You're redressing grievances and I want to allow it. New Speaker Mike Johnson, who appears to be a true servant of the Lord Jesus, and oh, I pray it's true. I pray it's true had occasion to question the disgraced Mayorkas who runs what we're supposed to call the Department of Homeland Security, but I have trouble seeing it that way. Do you? Given the fact that they uh, go around cutting down razor wire on the border to let more illegal immigrants, who absolutely include in them terrorists from, from Islamic nations and from the CCP, absolutely include those people coming across our border. A judge, by the way, has ordered the Biden administration to stop cutting down razor wire. In other words, to stop aiding and abetting the, 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 the breaking of our laws to come into our country, people we don't know. So I have trouble seeing them as the Department of Homeland Security. But Speaker Mike Johnson with Alexander Mayorkas, the so-called uh, head of the Department of Homeland Security, Speaker Johnson accuses Mayorkas of doing great harm in the Department of Homeland Security. I have to be honest and tell you, I'm not sure exactly what you do at the Department of Homeland Security other than great harm. On your watch, the data is pretty clear. We've had record levels of illegal immigration, a rapid decline in deportations, skyrocketing fentanyl deaths across our country, and the Secret Service, which is a DHS component, can't determine who left cocaine at the White House. In the middle of all this, you created the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, which is a division of, 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 your, of DHS. And it's one of the Biden administration agencies that colluded with and coerced the social media companies to censor Americans' protected free speech online. 
That's specifically detailed in a 155-page court opinion that came out of the federal court in Louisiana in the landmark litigation of Missouri v. Biden. It's great, great, great statement, and it's it's filled with honesty. And I don't I don't see him with a nasty tongue in his head. That I I that's one of my sins. I see him being respectful but clear. And incidentally, the people who run CISA admitted that the government doesn't have the right to censor people this way. They don't have the legal authority, so they did it for the government. That makes them joint state actors. That makes them government censors. And Speaker Johnson continued in this discussion with Mayorkas, and he asked the secretary if he has read the Missouri court opinion. Have you read that court opinion? Uh, Congressman, I, I have not, and um, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency does not censor speech. Okay, well, that's the court found otherwise, and it's really curious to me. Actually, it's quite alarming that you haven't read the opinion, because your agency is listed in this opinion. The federal court looked at volumes of evidence over months of litigation, and they determined, among other things, that uh, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs, the states in this case are true, and, and hold on, the preliminary injunction was granted against your agency, sir, and other Biden administration agencies, including the DOJ and FBI, the court said it involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. And you're telling me this opinion issued July 4th has not reached your desk? No one's briefed you on it? Oh, I have been briefed on the Missouri litigation. Okay, but you haven't taken the time to read it yet. Congressman, um, No, hold on. Have you read it or not? I have read parts of it. Oh, parts of it. Did you read the parts where it said that this is Orwellian and dystopian and that your agency is involved in a massive cover-up of specifically conservatives' free speech online? Congressman, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is not involved in such conduct. Okay, well, the court found otherwise, and you stand here under oath and you give us these answers that we know were not true because this is demonstrably untrue. There needs to be teeth to this, and I keep saying this to office holders or Republicans. He is perjuring himself, and he needs to be put in the jail cell that exists in the House of Representatives in the basement. Uh, if, if I perjured myself in court, I would be signing up for that. You're not a court, but you are not allowed to perjure yourself under oath to the United States Congress. You can charge him with contempt, and having charged him with contempt, you can have the sergeant at arms take him and lock him in a jail cell downstairs. We are at risk. We're not at risk. We have these agencies, the the phrase deep state, it's real. They consider themselves unaccountable to us or to the people we elect. It's not just, well, secondly bothersome to lie to this nation in that way. Well, of course, we're not to lie, but I don't think Maricus knows the Lord in any way, shape, matter, idea, faction, or form. So Speaker Mike Johnson asks Maricus to define disinformation. Can you define what misinformation is? Congressman, um, misinformation is false information that is disseminated uh, to... Uh, Excellent. Who determines what is false? Uh, Congressman, our focus... No, our who focus. determines what is false in your agency? If you're going to pull something off the internet and collude with a social media platform to make sure Americans don't see it, who determines what's false? Congressman, we don't do that. That's not true. That is not true. That is not what the court has found. This is not a Republican talking point. This is what the documents show. We've had people testify under oath that say, and you just define the term, you're telling me that you don't know who determines what is false? Congressman, what we do at CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is identify 
the tactics that adverse nation states use to weaponize disinformation. Okay, what is disinformation? What is disinformation? Disinformation is inaccurate information. Who determines what's inaccurate? They're not going to say, and that's also contempt. It's defiance and contempt. And there needs to be teeth to this. I don't want people rotting in jail cells. I want people held to account. And Speaker Mike Johnson, I pray for you because I, I believe you're a servant of the Lord. Enforce our laws, sir. Put that man in the jail cell below Congress. Charge him with contempt. And this discussion, this dance continues. Speaker Mike Johnson's asked Mayor Chris if the censorship board still exists. CISA was created to, uh, we call it the Misinformation and Disinformation Subcommittee of CISA. Are you familiar with that? Uh, MDM, the MDM Subcommittee, is it, you're familiar with that? Congressman, I am very well aware of the threat of disinformation emanating from adverse nations. Are you familiar with the subcommittee? Just answer the question. I am. Okay. Does it still exist? Congressman, are you speaking of the... Does the MDM subcommittee still exist? Uh, I would have to get back to you on that. Okay. All right. Kind of a big deal in your agency. I'm uh, kind of shocked that you don't know the answer to that. Uh, uh, He knows. And if he doesn't, it's because he chooses not to. And Speaker Johnson then catches Mericus in a lie. Courts proved they made no distinction between domestic speech and foreign speech. Who determines what's false? Do you understand the problem here? The reason the framers of our Constitution did not create an exception for quote-unquote false information from the First Amendment is because they didn't trust the government to determine what it is. And you have whole committees of people in your agency trying to determine what they they determine, they define as false or misinformation. That is not true. Then what is true? Please enlighten us. It's what we do is we disclose the tactics that adverse nation states are utilizing to weaponize No, sir. No, sir. The court found specifically, it's a finding of fact that is not disputed by the government defendants, the Biden administration, your agency, the FBI, or DHS, not in the litigation. They determined you made, you and all of your cohorts made no distinction between domestic speech and foreign speech. So don't stand there and tell me under oath that you only focused on adverse, you know, uh, adversaries around the world, foreign actors. That's not true. Speaker Johnson, may God be with you in this battle. You are a target, sir. And may God protect you. And may you put that man in a jail cell. We'll come back with bigger lies than this. I was saying it's a little bit cynical, and it's uh, thank gosh for the experts. I, I know that's cynical, and there's a reason I say it. It's because the 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 creation of human expertise without the consultation of God is a joke. And there are many things that experts can be really helpful at. Well, by the way, welcome back to Disciples View. I am Todd Herman. Obviously. When you need help from someone who has a specific area of knowledge you don't have, that expertise is very helpful. 
but the creation of expert classes is not helpful. So behavior ability to do is one thing, but the creation of a class of people who are now the experts is a very, very bad idea for society because it creates not just experts, but it creates bosses. So a case in point, there's, there's all sorts of expertise that we, that we value. I value my Christian therapist. I've had her on the program. Um, and Samantha helps me figure things out. Samantha is not my boss. And Samantha makes very, very clear that she's not my boss. I don't want that relationship. She has expertise sometimes I need. And sometimes that expertise is helping me look inwards to see what the Holy Spirit's telling me. That's most commonly what she does in therapy and can kind of cue me into some things I'm not seeing, but always from a biblical perspective. On the other hand, in the therapeutic world, there is a class of therapists, and if you haven't heard of this, I, I, I hope you will pay attention to this. There's a class of therapists who engage in something called reparenting. And this is where they take young people who are in pain, uh, who are confused, and in my judgment, have become of this world rather than just living in this world. And instead of approaching the confusion, approaching the depression from what are the core issues, they simply say this, I will reparent you. I'll reparent you in the way you should have been parented, which is in fact reprogramming. So if you are someone who has had a traumatic, let's say, series of sexual experiences, this is so common in a world that's just flooded with porn and with young boys who truly believe that it is a natural thing to choke a girl during a sexual encounter, that this is, that this is to be expected and, and, and girls like this. And I hate to be blunt, but this is just this is what, what young boys have been taught by modeling to expect. Any sexual contact can end up being traumatic, particularly outside the bounds of marriage, etc. When girls have been through that and they've reached a conclusion that, okay, um, I'm worth nothing or the only way I'm worth something is sexually or I don't want to be a girl, therefore I will play around with being a boy until such time as now my mind has been caused to believe it and now I'm in this lie that you'll have a reparenting therapist take that information and say, well, clearly you weren't parented the right way. So let me reparent you. And the reparenting is, hey, this is who you are. You get to have this power. Sex is power. Celebrate that. You don't need to be ashamed of these things. Sex is power. Celebrate this. And if you say you're a boy, hey, you are, and your parents should have agreed from the very moment you were born, and they'll go right back and say, the fact that you feel this now means you've always felt this. And that's just an easy example to reach to and to demonstrate. So when I talk about experts, I, I, I talk about this class of people who now are exalted. Fauci is the greatest, easiest example of an expert exalted who just got to just engage in murder of, I think the data indicates at least 17 million people. But when you consult the word of God in comparison to the word of the world, particularly as it relates to, to mental health, it's fascinating how, well, not really fascinating, I guess not even surprising that the Bible wins. 
I uh, picked this up at Fox News, and the, the headline is, Depression and anxiety may impact young adults twice as much as teens, Harvard survey finds. Young adults are struggling with a lack of meaning and purpose, say experts. Well, <laughs> I don't know that we need human experts to tell us that we have implanted in us a need for meaning. You can go read the Psalms and see people asking about their meaning and what is it that God wants from them and what is this task and why have I been given this task? It is an historical exploration of people asking, what, what, gosh, Lord, what do you expect of me? This is the article, a part of it. Well, rising rates of depression and anxiety among teens have gotten attention. Young adults may be struggling even more with those conditions, according to a new report from Harvard Graduate School of Education. Approximately 36% of adults say they struggle with anxiety compared to 18% of teens. Regarding depression, 29% of young adults say they experience it compared to 15% of teens. So let's pause for a moment. What is depression? I mean, in this study, what is it? I, I, I don't know that they define it well. Depression is not feeling sad. It's not, hey, I have moments of sadness. But what is happiness? In this society where you're comparing sadness or feeling morose to something, this depression, and you don't draw a bright line on that, you can end up confusing a lot of things. But I think what the issue here is, or one of the issues is, what exactly is happiness? What is satisfaction? Because there's a difference between happiness, which is momentary, and satisfaction, which can be lasting. And the lasting satisfaction that we have in our souls is a need to have God say, well done. It is a need to experience hearing God in our ears or feeling him however you hear God or however you experience this, you are doing well. You're in line with me. But when you go through this study and you go through some of the, the, the data points it bring up, at the core, humans are social beings. We need emotional contact to thrive. You can go back to Genesis. You go right back to Genesis. It is not good that man is alone. You can take every line from this. Half of young adults reported not knowing what to do with my life, which contributed to their mental health struggles. What should you do with your life? What does the Bible say? Well, it says that we have specific roles as men and women. It says that we have complementarian roles. It says that we complement each other in life's task. Not everyone is gifted with marriage. Some people are gifted with being single. But what is it that we need in order to know what to do with our life. We need human emotional contact. In order to know how we're being called to help others, we need to have real contact, which does not happen in, a, in, in, in fake relationships, social media relationships. This is another one. Financial concerns and pressure to achieve were also named as culprits, affecting 56% and 51% of young adults, respectively. Financial concerns. Yes, it can be scary. I have been poor. I have sold blood for money. I really have. I've done it more than once. And I didn't like being poor. And you know what I didn't have at the time? I didn't have trust in God. I was reading about him. I was, um, I was being drawn to him through my dear family, great, great Jesus-loving Catholics. And I didn't have that trust. So I worried on my own. I have to do it. I have to do it alone. I have to make it happen. And again, what does it tell us in the Bible? These young people do not have access to the lessons of the lilies of the field. 
And a reparenter will look at this and say, well, you, know, you just need to, you, you, you need to recognize your parents never taught you that you have the sexuality you could use to earn money. And reparenters do that. We talked about the reparenting therapists. They actually do that. Have you thought of sex work? That'll help you get money. Now we're right back to taking kids who've been impacted negatively sexually through the porn culture and a rear parenter will often turn that around and go, hey, you know what? Let's take this, this let's take lemons and make lemonade. 45% of young adults say they have a sense that things are falling apart. Well, they are. And again, from a biblical grounding, we know, yes, in the end times, I don't think this is an exact quote from the Bible, things are going to get weird. <laughs> I'm aware that's not an exact quote from the Bible. For 40%, 44% of respondents, lack of meaningful relationships was a key driver and loneliness was a factor for 34%. Loneliness. I don't believe that young people know what it is to be a friend. Many of them. And I'm speaking now from experience. I'm speaking from the experience of working with young men who many, many for the first time had the same experience that I did. I, I was, I want to think here, I was 54 years old. The first time I had a, a man who, uh, who I admire embrace me, I'm hug, I've been hugged many, many times uh, by other men, but, but to embrace me and tell me, I am proud of you. Gosh, it was meaningful. And I don't think young men know this. And one of the things that we do in, in, our, in, our, in our youth group is that we help young men communicate feelings of caring for one another and holding to account. And that holding to account is something that true friends do for one another. And I don't think young men are experienced at holding each other to account. And in interacting with another young man. I actually repeated that, that I'm proud of you because I was. Because I saw this young man making godly decisions and I saw him reaching for help. And I said to him, has anyone ever presented to you the idea of holding you to account for, for, for decisions you've made? He goes, well, yeah, I, I might get in trouble. I said, no, that's not what I said. Holding to account. To what count? To a biblical count. He said, no. I said, you know that you just did that? Instinctively, you just did that. This is God speaking through you to tell you, well done. You just held yourself to biblical account. I won't be specific about what he shared. When I looked at him and I said, I am so proud of you. He apologized for the tears. This is something that friends do for friends. And I think that particularly young men lack the ability to have those close friendships. Young women, I've never been a young woman. But when I talk to young women on occasion and I hear about what friendship means to them, I think it's a similar quandary. I think friendships are co-opetition, right? I need to beat you with this. I need to beat you with that. I need to compete with this. If you look again at the Bible, we are not to seek human approval. We're to seek approval from God. So if we seek approval from God and we allow God to work through us, we have drawn to us then people who look and say, you're different. You have a different countenance. You treat me differently. 
or people can simply go fall into these cults we've been talking about this week. In the cult without an obvious human charismatic leader, but very, very much with a charismatic leader. And I do think these things are satanic. This is Charlie Kirk. You probably know who he is. He's very, very famous, a very, very, very smart young man and uh, runs Turning Points USA. Incidentally, he has in his heart uh, to help pastors and help churches. I was, I was gifted to go to one of his events where he was doing just that. This is Charlie Kirk on a college campus. He's seated so as to not be threatening, and he's debating abortion with a young woman who is painted up in makeup. I'm not here to judge appearances. I'm just describing the way she looks, dark eye makeup. You want to have as much sex as possible, but then I say if I get pregnant, I can kill the baby. That's really dark. It's not killing the baby. Killing what? You're a clump of cells. I'm a clump of cells. When he said that to her, she was visibly stunned. Her face went blank. She made that, look, you just called me a clump of cells. This young woman, for the first time, had someone feed back to her what you are saying to others. Charlie Kirk, in that moment, was more of a friend to that girl than the rest of the girls, than the other girls standing around her. Friends speak truth. Friends don't involve each other in lies. Friends hold to account. People do seek meaning. This is an example. This, this man apparently goes around to restaurants and films himself being, quote, misgendered so he can then be victim and oppressor. It looks like uh, he's having a uh, nice feast. She, 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 her. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's all good. But it was not all good. Hi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm not sir. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, like, it, it, it's like a knife in the heart. I also, I did specifically ask ahead of time not to be called sir. Yeah, I'm just going to go. Okay. Yeah. The sweet water starts at... Okay. Not, I mean, not, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's just always like a knife. It always hurts every single time. I was wondering if there's a manager I could talk to about something that happened. Yeah, I, I was called sir. Okay. It just really sucks every time it happens. See, you get the opportunity to be both victim and oppressor. Because you get to say to people, you will use the words I tell you to use. And with this, you get meaning. And we're back to the experts. See, experts tell us that these are people expressing who they are. That this is our job to say, yes, this is who you are. And it can extend beyond the made-up idea of transgenderism. It can extend into their experts. No, it is self-identification. My therapist, and I began the, the segment talking about her, She has certifications, professional certificates. She can be a licensed therapist if she wants to be. She's a life coach because she doesn't want to be licensed because she wants to be able to speak God's truth. Well, she doesn't classify herself as an expert. That's also self-identification. Tony Fauci's not an expert. He's a guy with a degree. See, if there are experts, then there's super experts and super, super duper experts who get to tell the other experts just like that man did in the restaurant? You're going to agree with me. We'll come back with the Tower of Babbling. I'm Todd Herman. This is A Disciples View.
Oh, did you hear this? The uh, son of one of the founders of the National Rifle Organization has come out and demanded that the uh, the board of the NRA be arrested for crimes against humanity. Welcome back to Disciples View. I'm Todd Herman. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. Actually, no, I was playing a little attention-getting game for myself. I'd like to play this game. If it was done the other way around, how much attention would this get? It happens that the son of the co-founder of the World Economic Forum, his name is Hussein Najadi, is the founder, or the co-founder. Pascal Najadi is his son. So Pascal, the son, is calling for the arrests of Bill Gates, the leadership of the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, and Klaus Schwab, CEOs of big tech companies and Pfizer, uh, Moderna representatives, uh, executives. He says he and his mother are now dying from the modified RNA gene sequencing devices, which some people still want to call vaccines. Uh, and they are not, never have been, never designed to be vaccines. And I'll debate this with anybody, scientific or otherwise. It's not a hard debate. And if we understand it from the basis of what these things were designed to do, we can see the lie in this stuff from the very beginning. Let me give you one easy, simple example. Remember when they said that the so-called vaccines would stay at the injection site? Remember when they said that? I can disprove that in a thousand different ways, but here's one very simple one. The gene sequencing code, because it is code, in those injections is encoded in something called a nanolipid particle. It's a very, very, very small, basically a a layer of fat, nanolipid, small lipid particle. And by coding in that, your body can't see what's in it. It's a Trojan horse. That nanolipid particle is also used for the delivery of chemotherapy. Why? Anybody who works in, 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 as, as a cancer doc, to be colloquial, knows why. It is to allow the chemotherapy to go out throughout the body of a person with whom the cancer has metastasized. They need it to go everywhere. It absolutely crosses the brain-blood barrier, absolutely, by design, the nanolipid particle. That's one way to disprove that. When they spoke those words, it stays at the injection site, everybody knew they were lying. In fact, uh, any, any cancer researcher knows this. They're lying. Why didn't they speak up? Second way to disprove this, what do the injections do? This is not the injection of an inert or a small portion of the virus that that is then considered non-harmful or something inert, or in the case of smallpox, it's it's cowpox, which is like smallpox but can't infect humans was the theory. It's not that. It's code. It's a modified RNA strand of code that gets into your body and tells your genes to produce something. When it produces that something called a spike protein, it produces it up to 42 trillion at a time that then goes throughout the body. It's not just produced at one site. So once again, everybody 
who had any knowledge of what these injections do understood that that was a major lie from the very beginning. Now, there's so much more to this, and I am absolutely 100% committed to continuing to track this because it is, in my judgment, the greatest act of murder ever perpetrated on the human race. And it's a murder that's going to continue to kill people for five generations or perhaps more because very, very clear and compelling evidence shows that in many cases, this has changed the human body's code. So when I started to say this joke about, oh, the, the son of the, one of the founders of the NRA said that uh, the, the, the NRA board member should be arrested for crimes against humanity, can you imagine the news that would have made if that actually happened? It didn't, but imagine what would have happened. So why are we not hearing this news about the grandson, pardon me, the son of the founder of the World Economic Forum? He made this video. Again, his name is Pascal Najati. I, as a Swiss citizen, right here now, declare that the VEF is not eligible anymore for diplomatic immunity. I call on the Swiss authorities and security to arrest those people immediately. Why? The VEF, WHO, Gavi, Big Pharma, Big Tech, Bill Gates, all advocated a global humanity injection by a bioweapon injecting nanolipids into 5.7 billion people. And we Swiss are hosting them? That's terrible. We cannot tolerate any entity that promotes poison to be injected into humanity. But you've done it. I'm the victim, I'm dying from it. And my mother too. It's a demo side and you'll be judged. It will be corrected in the name of humanity. Uh, demo side, the mass murder of a peoples by their governments. And he says it three or four times. Now, if that was the head of the NRA's son, every news organization in the world would have led with that. And it could never be true because the NRA doesn't make guns. The NRA doesn't force people to own guns. The NRA doesn't go about shooting people. But it is what the World Economic Forum has done with the World Health Organization, with players in big tech, Moderna, Pfizer, as tech has crossed over into our bodies. They're no longer happy simply to make tech in the digital sphere. They now want it in our bodies. It's quite a crossover. Have you noticed that you haven't heard that anywhere? That's called the propaganda of silence. It's a phrase God gave me to describe this. The most potent brand of propaganda that governments have and that the Mockingbird media has is silence. Because if people don't know, well, what can they do? You know now. My suggestion is you make a pledge to yourself. You will never be injected with that garbage. And if you were, you get to a good medical clinic. There's many of them who can help you mitigate the harm from the spike proteins. It can be done. On the disciples' view, we thank the Lord for taking people who consider themselves really wise, so wise that they don't need the word of God, 
We thank the Lord for placing them on tall towers of shaking sand with a feature that we call the Tower of Babylon. You know about the biblical truth of the Tower of Babel. A Disciple's View presents... Culture is, it is a reflection of our moment and our time. And present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. The Tower of Babylon. This is a guy named, what was it? Let me check with the uh, research team here. Hey guys, what was this guy's name? Oh yeah! This is uh, Joe Biden in 2020. The world has changed because what Trump has done. And the American people, including independents and some Republicans, know how bad he is, know how much he's misrepresented, know how he's getting close to getting us in a war. I said, as the walls close in on this man, I'm worried he's going to get us to war in Iran. Unfortunately, I may have been right. (laughs) Well, uh, you may have been right that someone is getting us into a war with Iran. And that someone is you. I, I, I once had a company called uh, Crowdverb. Uh, it's, it's a big data company. We sold it um, years and years ago. One of our clients was a, an organization run by military legends, generals. Out of respect for the fact that they paid us to do work and they paid us well. And I don't know them to be bad people. I think they're probably very good people. Uh, But their job, one of their jobs was going around the country and making sure that the government bought the right equipment for war. And goodness, the money these organizations make. I am very, very concerned that we are right now in a cycle of war in order to turn over inventory. I heard Mitch McConnell say it. I think I mentioned it yesterday. Maybe this is a process of me being discipled or just becoming an old hippie. I'm not anti-war. Well, I'm anti-corruption. And a Pentagon that misplaced, oh, $3 trillion bucks. Ah, that sounds like corruption to me. And again, I'm going to repeat myself. I beg the new speaker, Mike Johnson, to ask the Biden regime to explain why they want to fund both sides of the war in Israel. Second of three clips in today's Tower of Babbling, this is an American college professor, and she, to her credit, is actually engaging in debate and discussion with some students on her campus. However, there's something she refuses to say. You're, well, you condemn terrorism. You're on the mic. You're on camera. You're a professor. Will you condemn terrorism? I'm not. This is this conversation is it's not a yes actually. Or no question. It's not a yes or no question. This is. You think terrorism justified if it's against Jews? Is that what you're saying? So, uh, so that's putting words in my mouth, as you know. I'm asking you to say yes or no, and you can't do it. Because You're a professor. You're smart enough to know this. Why can't you condemn terrorism? Well, listen. Don't give me some long answer that means nothing. Say yes or no. Will you, will you condemn terrorism? Well, that's just like a coercive way of trying to talk to me. Yes, you're putting this person in a position where they, if they say anything, you're going to twist it and you're going to wrap it around. How can I twist you're, it? No, oh, you're doing it to me right now. Shut the f- up while I talk, okay? Like, do that for a while. Okay? You are literally putting people in a position while there's a camera on and a mic in my face right now to get people to say something that's going to make you look good and your, like, side of whatever this is look good. I condemn terrorism. Go on. Talk about you all because you're incriminating your Terrorism, Terrorism means something. It means going after civilians, 
hurting them, bombing them, killing them in order to achieve a political end. So I see what the professor is saying. Hey, there's some nuance. Okay, let's get the answer first and then the nuance. Do you decry the tactic of terrorism? Yes, and here's what you would probably say. The Palestinians are marginalized people. They have no other way to do this. They don't have an army. They don't have a navy. This is the only thing that they can do. So your response could be against civilians? Who's more marginalized? An 18-year-old man of fighting age and fighting capability or an infant? (laughs) Speaking of marginalization, they kill babies. It's a tactic and it's reviewable. Last clip in today's Tower Babbling. This is a state senator, Karen Forkey. And she is uh, explaining that there hasn't really been an increase in so-called transgender children. Incidentally, no one is transgender because no one has ever been born in the wrong body. You can be gender defiant, gender confused. You can have gender dysphoria. You can be a gender denier, but you were never born in the wrong body. Karen Berg, by the way, is a Kentucky senator, District 26, representing East Jefferson County. Oh, she's an MD. Huh. I wonder if Kentucky, that district, appreciates her view on the idea of kids being so-called transgender. The reason that you see and you hear more now about transgender children than you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the best analogy I can give you is the same thing that happened in the early 50s when we quit requiring children to use their right hands. The number of left-handed students increased exponentially. (laughs) Gosh, that was a dark period of history. I can't tell you how many friends I had who had their, uh, their, their left hands cut off. Or rather their right hands once they found out they're left-handed. Cut off and tossed in a garbage bin to be their true selves. She's an MD. I think that means medical doctor. The fact of the matter is, social contagions are a known thing. Not hard to diagnose. And that wraps up today's episode of The Tower Babbling. That was The Tower of Babbling. I don't have anything to share with all of you at this time. Uh, and uh, and I'll, just, I'll just leave it there. On A Disciple's View. Audio like that and hearing things like that can be very, very disturbing. We play them because words matter. We know words matter because God values words. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. We speak because we believe. Until you and I have a chance to visit again, courtesy of God, may God be with you and yours forever and always. Thank you.